It all starts with the mindset shift. I believe that from a cultural standpoint, the concept of going to the doctor on a regular basis must be normalized. Destigmatizing healthcare and providers is a good start from a cultural standpoint, but fully understanding the barriers and attacking them systematically at the root is also needed. Hi, and welcome back to the ERS Walk and Talk podcast. In today's episode, you will hear a conversation I had with Dr. Alex Lesko, who serves as the executive medical director for the ERS Health Plans through Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas. Dr. Lesko is a board-certified surgeon, and in this episode, I asked him to talk about his experience from his time in New York, where he was finishing up his medical residency. He was actually working in a hospital in Manhattan during September 11th. 2001. And after September 11th, he deployed three times with the U.S. Navy as a trauma surgeon, serving the Marines during Operation Iraqi Freedom. He also went back to New York to support citizens during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Lesko embodies the term servant heart, and he is a wonderful resource for all of us through the ERS health plan. I asked him specifically in this episode to talk to us about top men's health issues. June is Men's Health Awareness Month, and he's going to share some of the top concerns surrounding men's health, some of the barriers for men accessing healthcare, both mental and physical, and a lot about the great resources available to state employees through the Health Select of Texas plan. So whether you are a man or you love a man in your life, this is a great episode to pay attention to and to just know those resources, know the warning signs, know what to look for and help support all the men that surround you and accessing healthcare, mental and physical. All right, here's my conversation with Dr. Lesko. Great. Good morning, Dr. Lesko. Good to see you and thank you for being a guest on the ERS Walk and Talk podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Lacey. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, great, great to have you. I'm looking forward to some interesting conversations on the topic of men's health this morning. Um, Before we get into that, I was wondering if you could start just by telling us and telling our listeners a little bit about your story and why you chose medicine as your profession. Just give us a little background and understanding of who you are before we get into men's health. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So um, I was born outside of Detroit and raised in the St. Louis, Missouri area. Uh, After college, I ended up going to medical school and did a surgical residency in New York City. Uh, But although nobody in my family was in the medical field, for some reason, I always wanted to be doctor, probably started when uh, just watching some TV shows. But uh, that that happened as far back as I can remember. Uh, But although the reasons changed over the years, I I continued to still want to be a doctor. So... uh, Going through medical school and after completing my residency, I, I eventually entered into uh, into active duty with the Navy, and I was so grateful that they offered this opportunity. So they paid for schooling, which uh, took a lot of the financial burden off of my shoulders. But in the uh, final year of my surgical residency, nine eleven happened, which was uh, it was a surreal experience because I was in Manhattan on that day. And we ended up clearing the hospital, and uh, it was just very strange. We were in northern Manhattan and didn't see any casualties. So, um, but at any rate, uh, subsequently, I went on active duty in the Navy in in 2002. 
I made three deployments in four years while with the Navy, supporting our Marines uh, during Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, and I was subsequently discharged in 2006, uh, where I moved to North Texas to be closer to my family. Uh, so after several years of practice, I transitioned to an administrative position in a small organization uh, that worked with Medicare Advantage plans before, before coming to Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, specifically to work with ERS. Uh, but about a year ago, I became the executive medical director for ERS. Wow. We're so lucky to have you. And what a what a journey you've had. And I mean, it's just so incredible to hear kind of the years and what influenced your service. Thank you for your service and certainly can appreciate all the things that you have done over the course of year of, of your many years of experience. I was reading an article about you recently as I was kind of preparing for this interview. I saw that you actually mm -hmm. volunteered and went back to New York during the height of the pandemic. And for anybody who was watching the news during the height of the pandemic, New York was certainly a place that was heavily impacted. Can you talk a little bit about what was your experience like being there during that time? Yeah, so that, I mean, obviously New York City has a, a special place in my heart, given that I spent so much time there. Uh, and I feel like I've been given so much by some of the institutions there. So that experience was a little crazy for me and surreal for that matter. Uh, so I, I do want to preface this by saying that I, I recognize that COVID-19 has been a polarizing topic, but I think I have a slightly different perspective. I don't know that I really ever saw it as a political issue, but rather, uh, particularly at that time, that there were that there were just people suffering and that there was a need. So having trained in New York, I was sensitive to the news coming out of the city at that time back in, I think it was March of 2020. And there was a New York Times article, uh, which was released late in March of 2020, about the severity of the disease which had overtaken the city at that time. Uh, the, the article happened to focus on one of the city hospitals in Queens, which is Elmhurst Hospital, uh, which was one of my primary teaching hospitals as a resident. So it really kind of hit home at that point. So right around that time, the governor of New York had sent out a request for volunteers around the country and kind of sort of meshing with this. I had become a Christian only a few years before. And I felt as though that God had placed this squarely in my lap. At any rate, because it was still early days, not a whole lot was really known about the disease. Uh, so my wife and I prayed over the decision, recognizing all of the potential outcomes. And we both knew that I should go. Uh, but I'd also like to, to give a shout out to my manager at that time, as well as Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, who were both very supportive of, of me and gave me the opportunity to go. So I did serve for several weeks in 2020. Uh, and as I mentioned, it was a surreal experience. From the flight out, uh, there were empty airports. The airplane only had a handful of healthcare workers going into the city. The city itself was eerily desolate, uh, especially in the mornings. There was nobody on the, uh, on the streets. And most of my, my shifts were at night. And so I would come home in the morning. Sometimes I would bike through the city and I would, I remember specifically coming out, I think it was either on a Saturday or a Sunday morning and there was nobody, there were probably maybe two people cleaning the streets in Times Square, but that was it. And anybody that's ever been to Times Square, especially more recently knows that that place is 
it's crazy. It's just teeming with people. And it was the exact opposite that day. Wow. Um, yeah. So fortunately, by the second week I was there, the tide began to turn. And um, while they were grateful for my help, I truly feel like I was the one who was given the gift while by being there. Mm. It gives me cold chills hearing you uh, kind of describe that experience. The further we get away from the pandemic, the more we forget how much was going on and how much we were all impacted by it, how it changed our lives. Uh, what a story. <laughs> Thank you for, again, for your service and for going up there and, and doing that. It's just an amazing, uh, selfless act of, of service. So I guess we'll transition and kind of get into the mm -hmm. primary topic that we're going to talk about today, but it really is wonderful just to get to know you a little bit and, and hear a little bit of your background before we get into the topic of men's health. As the chief medical officer for RERS Health Plan, I know you are very closely tied to the data. You know kind of what's going on with men's health. And I was hoping you kind of just start with sharing some of the top concerns for men's health, specifically among our ERS health plan participants. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'd like to just start by pointing out one of, the, one of the more disturbing trends that I've seen across Texas, which is the rise in chronic conditions. And men seem to be outpacing women, particularly in the prevalence of having at least one chronic condition. I believe that right around 28% of men versus 25% of women will have a, a single chronic condition, but that's not where it ends, right? The, the list goes on. More men are overweight. They're less likely to see a primary care provider. And in fact, there was a study uh, recently out of the Cleveland Clinic that showed up to 60% of men do not regularly see their provider. So ultimately, if you put it all together, I think it's safe to say at a population level at any rate, that men are less engaged in the healthcare system and they're not taking ownership of their health and well being. And this has all sorts of potential as well as realized implications. Uh, for example, you know, it may end up limiting their own quality of life, particularly once they've reached the age of retirement, if some of these chronic conditions lead to complications. Uh, it can potentially lead to surgery that might otherwise have been avoided if uh, some of these conditions were treated in advance. Uh, or they had received uh, preventive screening. And it can also lead to a void in the lives of their family members. So men have a lower life expectancy than women. I think that that's well-established, almost five years. And, and frankly, some of the uh, these statistics that we're talking about uh, are related to that. Yeah, so the chronic conditions we're seeing on the rise for, for men and women, men are outpacing women, according to the research. What can men be doing to actually prevent some of these conditions from, well, I guess we can all do a lot of things, but what specifically do you recommend for, for the men in our lives that, um, you know, to actually prevent some of these conditions? I mean, for them to prevent it, obviously, access, it starts with access and it starts with the uh, the men partnering, establishing a relationship and partnering with their primary care provider, their PCP. So by going to a PCP on a regular basis, uh, seeing them uh, when you're young, maybe every two to three years, but it depends on the recommendations of uh, each individual uh, PCP. Uh, but partnering with that PCP, uh, creating a care plan and a follow-up plan 
and just uh, hitting on it every year. Uh, I think that that's, that's the behavior that we'd like to see. But we, we also recognize that there are some obstacles or barriers that may prevent that from happening. And obviously, the statistics bear that out. We know that it's important to have a relationship with our PCP. Why mm-hmm. is that so important? What if for people who go to their PCP annually, what do they receive that is going to help prevent these conditions? Ultimately, a patient's PCP is going to have a a long relationship, presumably, if you're taking it seriously and going on a regular basis. And over time, your your PCP, they take notes, they get to know you, uh, they ask questions that you wouldn't ordinarily be asked. Uh, They can sometimes uncover uh, conditions that you may not have recognized were even there. Uh, For example, hypertension. Hypertension is, you know, it's known as the silent killer for a reason because most people don't have symptoms initially and may not have symptoms for years after, even after it's been present for a while. So uh, these are all important reasons. Plus your, your doctor, your PCP is going to understand what the current preventive steps are, are needed, the, the current preventive testing that may be required uh, for each man and in their particular age group. Yeah, that's great. For a lot of men, you know, and we, I just pulled the data for our health plan. I sent that to you before, before we talked today. We, I saw that 50% of women, around 50% of women are going to their doctor once a year. For men, it's around 36% are doing their annual preventive checkup. Why do you think it is so low for men? What are some of the barriers that are keeping men from actually accessing the healthcare system and going to the doctor? Kind of going upstream, I think that it all starts with the mindset shift. I believe that from a cultural standpoint, the concept of going to the doctor on a regular basis uh, must be normalized. And while I'm certain the reasons are many and vary from person to person, I'd be willing to bet that uh, all of these barriers that we talk about play a role for men. In one survey, for example, the, the two top reasons that men show hesitation in visiting a doctor included being too busy and the fear of what might be discovered. Uh, but I'd also like to add that some men may feel a degree of embarrassment around being in an examination room, as there is a degree of vulnerability being placed in that position. Some have also pointed to a lack of trust of healthcare providers that may stem from previous bad experiences and a lack of understanding of the, all of the complexities inherent to the practice of medicine. And um, yeah, so I mean, all of these are, are, are valid reasons to. And fear tends to be at the root of uh, many of these uh, explanations. So, destigmatizing healthcare and providers is a good start from a cultural standpoint, but fully understanding the barriers and attacking them systematically at the root is also needed. But at the level of the individual patient, it starts by understanding each individual's fears and barriers. So as we physicians often like to say, we need to treat each individual and their circumstances as unique. So this, of course, is easier said than done. 
and, and it may even need to be need to happen before the patient's a patient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps family members coming around each man and asking them poignant questions. Uh, and frankly, each guy knows the answers to those questions already. They have it in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most common reasons men will go see their provider for an ailment or a regular checkup is because their spouse convinced them to. So I say this to remind your listeners that this is truly a team sport, mm-hmm. that that the women and you know, sometimes other men in each man's life must also be involved. We talked a little bit about what we can do to address some of the barriers. And I think we are working on solutions to make it easier for health plan participants, especially ERS health plan participants across the state to access preventive health care. But, you know, there there's certainly work that needs to be done uh, to continue to reinforce and reduce the stigma around that. Hopefully, you know, agencies, wellness coordinators, leadership, really from all angles, we can work to just have, you know, have these conversations. And I think even having people like you come on and talk about the benefits and hearing your perspective, especially you are a man. So you understand some of those challenges probably that men face um, when it comes to accessing healthcare. So I wanted to switch gears here and talk a little bit about mental health. And we were hearing a lot about mental health just in general. We're seeing that, you know, depression and anxiety are on the rise. And also I saw a statistic um, the other day that men make up 75% of suicide victims. One man kills himself every 20 minutes in the United States. And that in small towns and rural areas, this is even more of an issue. So I'm wondering, do you have thoughts on what we can do as a society to help get men to access mental health treatment more regularly to prevent some of these conditions from having that effect? Absolutely. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Suicide is a major problem for men. Men generally engage in riskier behaviors and suicide attempts tend to utilize more violent means leading to a higher rate of successful suicides. Men in rural communities may seem more isolated. So, I mean, it's it all starts with access, right? Fortunately, the Health Select of Texas plan has a number of resources in the area of mental health to support our men who may be struggling with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and other mental health issues. So I am going to cite some network statistics to give you a little picture of what our network looks like. So 99.9% of participants, ERS participants, have access to a mental health provider within 75 miles of their listed location. 97.3% Uh, have access to a psychiatric facility within 75 miles of their listed location. And 97.6% of participants have access to a substance abuse facility within 75 miles. So uh, basically that translates to about over 20,000 mental health professionals and 417 mental health facilities within the network. But on top of that, We do have additional mental health services available virtually to our ERS participants through uh, a service called Doctor on Demand. And I think this is very important to point out as it removes the barrier of travel, as well as allowing men to engage from the privacy of their own home. Uh, But getting back to your original question, from a societal standpoint, similar to what we talked about a little bit earlier uh, in terms of destigmatizing mental health treatment along with educating both men 
as well as female family members to recognize the signs of mental illness are both very important steps in in moving the ball forward. Dr. Brene Brown, she talks about Mm -hmm. um, shame triggers, and I thought it was really interesting. She said for women, our most common triggers for shame, and shame is the birthplace of a lot of these mental illnesses that we're seeing, uh, for women, it is our body image and our parenting. We can feel extensive shame around our body because that is often how we feel judged based off society, how you parent, how you mm-hmm. look. And for men, it is being made to feel weak. So if they are okay. feeling weak and I keep thinking about if you think that asking for help is weakness as a man, you will not do it. Right. And so how do we transition and help men to actually see that asking for help, it requires an enormous amount of strength and you're stronger if you do it. I guess that, I know you might not have the answer to that today, but if we could figure that out, um, that yeah. would be amazing. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, it's deeper than any one particular thing that we do, right? This is yeah. a, a very deeply ingrained cultural issue. Yeah, uh, and it's not just healthcare. It it goes a lot deeper than that, and it requires a degree of humility to to be able to get to the point where you're ready to ask for help. I think that uh, family members, uh, a good strong supportive network, is, is key to that, and uh, just having the support and love of those uh, around you that re- truly care for you. That said, not there are times where that doesn't even work. Yeah, absolutely. There's times, I guess, where people are so low that they can't necessarily um, access help on their own. They they certainly may may need more support to to sure. access help. So, absolutely. Um, do you can you talk a little bit about what are some of the warning signs for mental health? Like when should someone seek treatment? A, a couple of things. So first is isolation, mm-hmm. uh, withdrawing, withdrawing from social situations. Uh, but there are a number of other keys as well. You know, mm-hmm. as a as a family member, one of the things you want to look for uh, is a change in behavior. Things just aren't the same that, as they used to be. Eating less or eating more can be one of the signs as well. Odd or biza- bizarre behavior in some instances. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, things that you wouldn't ordinarily expect to see from from your loved one. So sometimes. Folks can also, men can start talking about death a lot more frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, some may even discuss what life would look like if they weren't there or if mm-hmm. they hadn't been born. So all of these are, are are cues, things that you need to be attentive to. But I think most people that, that know uh, a man well, particularly family, fem- uh, family members or friends, will recognize that something's different. Mm. Yeah. Well, those are great things just to, you know, be attentive to. And we we all need to be looking around as paying attention to the people we care about, men and women, obviously, like like we talked about earlier, men are much more susceptible to to suicide. And it's a very real thing. I'm sure everyone has been touched by suicide in some way or another. And it's not easy to talk about, but the more we talk about Absolutely. it, you know, the more hopefully we can prevent it from, from happening. Is there anything else that I should have asked you or anything else that you would like to talk about with our ERS um, listeners before we finish up podcast today? 
I mean, more than anything, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to allow me to speak on this very important topic. And also just to remind your listeners that there are a plethora of resources available to them on the Health Select website. But in addition to that, I'd like to encourage our ERS participants to reach out on the phone to one of our Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas personal health assistants. They can connect you with a a network provider that can help you sort through uh, health select benefits. They can even connect you with a nurse if you have clinical questions. And generally, they just help our ERS participants navigate the healthcare maze, which which can feel incredibly complex and overwhelming at times. All of these resources are readily available. Many of them can be easily accessed just by going to the Health Select of Texas website. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I will drop all the links to all of those resources in the show notes. So for people who don't know where to go to access those resources, I want to just highlight again, to your point, the personal health assistants are incredible. I think a lot of people think when you call a 1-800 number or 1-888 number that you're just going to talk to somebody who doesn't understand, but those are actually people who live in Texas and support Texans and they only work with our health plan. So they understand extensively. Yeah. I I didn't know that myself until I started working at ERS. So Mm -hmm. um, I try to share that with everybody that I can. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. That's one of the greatest benefits is uh, having that sort of white glove customized service. Yeah, absolutely. We want people to certainly take advantage of that because everyone who's working for the state of Texas, taking care of all types of things from our roads to our prisons, to our educational system and all the way across the board, really important work that is being done. So we got to take care of ourselves so we can take care of of all all of the state of Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, thanks again, Dr. Lesko. It's so nice to meet you and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. All right. Thank you so much, Lacey. Yeah. Thank you for tuning into the podcast today. We all play a part in destigmatizing issues surrounding healthcare. And if you are listening to this podcast, I'm going to guess you're probably already fairly engaged with the healthcare system. And I do encourage you to think about how you can support those around you that may not be as engaged. We can help others by sharing our personal stories, sharing good resources, and in a loving and supportive way, encouraging others to get involved with the healthcare system. We do have a webinar coming up on June 29th featuring Dr. Lesko. I will drop the details for that webinar in our show notes. You can either register for it if it's before June 29th, or you can check out the recorded version if it's after June 29th. Thank you again for listening and take care of yourselves. Have a wonderful rest of your day.